welcome to Upbringing. We're Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. This episode is supported by Modern Macrame, a one-stop shop honoring the art of woven craft, from vintage items to do-it-yourself projects like plant hangers, wall hangings, and beyond. Founder Emily Katz is in large part responsible for reviving the pastime of macrame, an ancient fiber art. We took one of her workshops a few years back and found the act of knotting to be so calming. It was really fun working with our hands when it wasn't cooking, cleaning, diapering, typing. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, her new book, A Coffee Table Meets Do-It-Yourself Guide, is truly beautiful, and we value that modern macrame's rope materials are sourced ethically. Most of the cotton is also grown in the U.S. and 100% Ocotec certified, meaning it's free from harmful chemicals. Visit modernmacrame.com and enter code UPBRINGING15 for 15% off. Now, on to our feature. Welcome to our first features episode, where we explore the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I'm really excited to kind of get into this dynamic of one of us reading a book and the other one not reading the book, (laughs) kind of looking into some of those concepts, prompts, favorite quotes, and not necessarily to prove or convince the other one or our listeners that they should read it, but to just like kind of convey the value in it and that it has a connection to our parenting experience. Yes. That whole idea that it's all connected. Yeah. So Hannah, I want you to read the overview from her website. Okay. From the worldwide best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love, The Path to the Vibrant, Fulfilling Life You've Dreamed Of, this beloved author digs deep into her own generative process to share her wisdom and unique perspective about creativity. With profound empathy and radiant generosity, she offers potent insights into the mysterious nature of inspiration. Mm. She asks us to embrace our curiosity and let go of needless suffering. She shows us how to tackle what we love most and how to face down what we most fear. She discusses the attitudes, approaches, and habits we need in order to live our most creative lives. Balancing between soulful spirituality and cheerful pragmatism, Gilbert encourages us to uncover the strange jewels that are hidden within each of us. Whether we're looking to write a book, make art, raise a family, I'm adding that, (laughs) find new ways to address challenges in our work, embark on a dream long deferred, or simply infuse our everyday lives with more mindfulness and passion, Big Magic cracks open a world of wonder and joy. Mm. That kind of sums it up. Okay, so the features episode is over. (laughs) Okay, when I think about this book, many things swirl in my mind. Acceptance, trust, courage, permission, fear, inspiration, 
persistence, enchantment. That sounds like, a lot like the parenting experience, to right? Me. Yeah. I, I feel like I've already gotcha. When I feel like this was the first book too that we'll talk about that allowed you to see the connection, the beautiful, magical connection between your life as a creative and your life as a parent, and that is that is not to be underestimated. I agree. Yeah. I think our like a lot of our first aha moments that mm-hmm. sort of became the seeds of upbringing were born through reading this book and it all just sort of makes sense well hopefully this episode will explain how it makes sense i'm excited kelty no yeah i think that i've been schlepping it around because it makes me feel really good to have near me and this episode is going to explain why all right here we go I think one of the first stories she kind of leads in with is about this poet named Jack Gilbert, who ended up holding a seat uh, teaching in the same place that that she did. And a quote that she learned from one of her students who had learned from him also was, do you have the courage? Do you have the courage to bring forth this work? The treasures that are hidden inside you are hoping you will say yes. And... Liz says that surely something wonderful is sheltered inside us and that we're all kind of like walking repositories of buried treasure and Mm. that the oldest and most generous tricks the universe plays on us human beings for its amusement as well as ours is to bury strange jewels deep within us and then stand back and see if we can find them. And that creative living is the hunt to uncover those jewels and the courage to hunt is what separates us separates a mundane existence from a more enchanted one. And that the big magic is kind of like a surprising result of that hunt. Okay. I have goosebumps. Thank you, Kelsey. Okay. Um, Just that idea to start off a book that you go to to a book for the answers, maybe, oftentimes. And just that idea, the first thing saying, this isn't the answer. The answers are within you. That gems aren't something to be discovered, to dis- be discovered as an adventurer, far away, deep within the earth, you know, um, in these difficult ways. But there's something that's already there that we just aren't seeing and haven't recognized and been able to access yet. That's just a really fucking awesome way to think about it, and, and a way to introduce a book. I know. And thinking about this idea that it's not just about discovering those things that are inside us, but that they want to be discovered. Hmm. They want you to say yes is so amazing and i don't know it just it made me really think about parenting in terms of like none of us knows what we're getting into when we begin it and we end up finding all of these gems of virtues or traits or adventures or thoughts or feelings that we never knew we would ever discover well and we discover these things through this person that was inside us (laughs) They, they, they are the treasure that was inside us and they're helping us discover that yeah yeah what else struck you as magical about this book, Kel? Mm, she kind of goes from there into talking about how creative living is about living a life that is driven more strongly by curiosity than fear. Mm. So, quote, a creative life is an amplified life. It's a bigger life, a happier life, an expanded life, and a hell of a lot more interesting <laughs> life. Living in this manner, continually and stubbornly bringing forth the jewels that are hidden within you is a fine art in and of itself Hmm. and i think that when we kind of explored uh the it's all connected episode of our intros we were kind of 
touching on this idea that we can be reading all of these different resources and different types of books and um, consuming different types of media all through the lens that they can help us look at our parenting and our lives differently. And I think this book in particular was was the catalyst for thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And so often through what we're going to be talking about, I end up swapping out like creative life for life as a parent or um, you know, living creatively or I don't know, we'll, we'll kind of explore it as we get to it, but it, it feels so easily translatable to me in a way that a lot of other kind of personal growth books and creative living books, uh, I find harder to draw those same conclusions. And I think that part of that is because becoming a parent is like Jack Gilbert says, and like she said, like finding these jewels in you that, that want to be made um want to be made manifest Mm -hmm. and want to be made like realized and want to be connected to and and are somehow of you and also apart from you and and it's totally fucking bizarre and amazing Mm -hmm. and creativity has that same um kind of ethereal quality and Uh, the long-term quality too which you know the quote says continually and stubbornly bringing forth you don't just find a jewel and then you're like sweet i'm done you don't just raise a kid like you're raising a kid every day mm-hmm. continuously stubbornly, stubbornly <laughs> yeah. bringing forth this human being and that with the creative process and the parenting process are very aligned in that way too i think and i think also just thinking about it generally like we have a lot of friends who say parenting seems cool what do you think? I'm thinking about it. I'm kind of on the fence. What should I do? And we end up saying something way more therapy. boring. No, we oh, say go to okay. therapy. And then we say, this is way more boring than what Elizabeth Gilbert would say. She says, A, I'm going to say instead of creative life, we say a life as a parent is an amplified life. It's a bigger life, a happier life, an expanded life, and a hell of a lot more interesting life. Mm-hmm. And that's true. And it has been for us. It yeah. has been for us. It's harder it's it's more complicated it's all of these other things it's but bolder in yeah every but way, yeah but yeah but i think that you're right it kind of connects to that part of like it's not it doesn't just happen to you it's about you stubbornly bringing it forth mm-hmm. like the, those things that are hidden in you is what we talk about just like growing up with our kids like you can't become a parent and not confront the fact that you have a lot of work to do and that there are a lot of ways that you can lead a more amplified life, well, a bigger life, a happier life, right. all of those things. And that's not a process of just finding something. It's a process of unearthing and becoming yeah, and, and examining yeah. and all of those other things. That's the fine art mm. that she talks about. So fear is a topic that Elizabeth explores. I'm going to start calling her Liz because we're like buddies. Um, Liz explores this topic, and it's something that we talk about all the time and have with a lot of our conversations on the podcast, too. It's just, what is fear? How can we comfortably coexist with this thing and not let it drive us and ruin our lives? Because this parenting thing is so hard, and it's so scary, and it just brings up so many insecurities and challenges. And I love how she portrays fear she actually personifies a lot of things like fear inspiration mm-hmm. um all of these things she I gives like she she finds a way to give them like 
a body and a soul and a spirit and a mind of their own. And there, there are these things that like we have trouble grasping even in a concept. And she just like brings them down to earth and puts them right in front of you, across from you at the table. And I love that. But anyway, she describes how she decided to make space in her life for fear so that it could comfortably coexist with her creativity. Because I think being creative and leading a creative life has a lot of fear associated with it. And I love the idea that when you kill off fear, you could inadvertently kill off creativity. Mm. And I think a lot of people are like, be fearless, get rid of the fear, throw it away, don't look at it, you know, get rid of it. Resist it, right. ignore it. But I like this concept that like, we don't want to kill it or drive it away because she says that if she can just relax and give it space, then... I don't know, she thinks of it, she kind of talks about it in this metaphor of a road trip where she lovingly sets these boundaries for it, like like a power-crazed kid, you know? <laughs> like, you can sit in the back seat, you can't be in the front seat, you can't touch the fucking radio, but you'll be there, and you'll be around, and I'll know you're there, and I'll keep you, you know, um, filled in on what's happening, but I'm not letting you drive, I'm not letting you be a passenger, I'm so not some, letting you control this thing. Some healthy boundaries with fear then. Right. Yeah. Mm. And I like this idea. I mean, what's a way that you can think of that we can kind of personify fear in our own lives, especially as parents, to like make them a family member mm -hmm. with boundaries? Well, I think the flip side of fear, at least for me in parenting, is trust. And it's not creativity necessarily, but my ally in parenting has always been trust. And not trust like, oh, my kid is can walk on that really tall wall and he'll be fine. Um, trust as in, them freaking out on me is gonna be okay and there's a reason for it. And anytime I, my fear is triggered, you and I talk about this a lot, Kelsey, that it's just information. The mm -hmm. fear in our brains is telling us, ding, ding, there's some information. Pay attention. Pay attention yeah. here. There may be something to glean. There may be some pivoting needed. There may be something but beyond that. And what something I've been trying to do is to say, that fear signifies that trust is needed. They're actually connected to one another. They're not either have one or either have the other. They are both in the car. And we just have to decide who's in the front seat with us. I love that. I feel like you're supposed to convince me, but you kind of already have. <laughs> I don't need to convince Shit. you. Like I know. It's, it's, I love this stuff. This work. It's, it speaks for itself. Um, yeah, I feel like we talked about how she has this talent for personifying things like fear or inspiration as though they're a person. And it kind of reminds me of some of the parenting books we've read, like kind of name it to tame it, hmm. you know, in terms of this scary thing, this hard, elusive thing that we're going through or that our kids are going through. Um, if we could just find a word for it, if we could just find a phrase to describe it, then it kind of like demystifies it and brings it down to earth in some way. Mm -hmm. And there's like, that's magic on its own, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, name it to tame it is Dan Siegel. Tina Payne Bryson, yeah. I think they coined that term in either the whole brain, whole brain child or no drama discipline, but that idea that when we define something or label something just to better understand it, it builds this awareness, it opens our eyes, and then it demystifies it and it makes it less intimidating and less scary. And so, you know, for an example, a melting down toddler, our brain is saying demon <laughs> or our brain is saying 
failure. Yeah. Our brain is saying all of these things to us. And then we read a little information or talk to someone who's saying, oh, it's called, you know, dysregulation. And it's when the brain does this and then does that. And you're and just like, thank at least God. For me, like hearing that, getting that information, yeah. it I, it named it and I tamed it. And something like that hasn't bothered me as much or since even just then. a kid when you say it sounds like you're feeling frustrated and you see the relief on their face yes mm-hmm. yeah it's not just I'm for you it's for them too yeah. yeah it's it helps all of us yeah and i think she she approaches these kind of ethereal things with a, a sort of curiosity and tenderness mm-hmm. um that i want to be doing more in my parenting with everything that scares me or makes me squirm or freaks me out. And I think that she makes it real and she holds space for it. You know, whether it's fear or inspiration or anything, it's about working with it. And we talk about that too, just Mm -hmm. working with our kids and not against them or doing with, not to. Mm -hmm. And it's like this magical energy transfer. It's just flipping the script and like you said, pivoting. Um, and she, ideas is one of those other things that she does. She talks about in the same way as fear and inspiration. Wow. She describes them as energetic life forms that are looking for collaboration with a partner and that we need to be open and mindful and ready for signs of this magic mm-hmm. that wants to work with us. And this is such like an aha thinking to me of all of these like swirling ideas in terms of these moments we have with our kids like when we're too busy or too distracted or blind to see the opportunities for a magical interaction we miss out on that magic you know she describes what happens when you say no to an idea like nothing nothing at all happens Mm. and she also plays out what can happen when people say yes to an idea or in my thinking a child you know, <clears throat> the way that someone might say that is through martyrdom, like as a tormented artist or tormented parent, like the way that we talk about kind of like a perm- the, the whole permissive side of parenting. Mm-hmm. You're saying no, no, no on the more kind of like control-based side or you're saying okay, okay on the more um, permissive side. And she ends up suggesting a third way, which total goosebumps when <laughs> I think about it. Um, and I'd like to read, and I think I'm going to substitute out the words creativity, inspiration, idea, and path, and I think work was one of the other ones, for the words child or parenting. Cool. A different way. A different way is to cooperate fully, humbly, and joyfully with your child. This is how I believe most people approach being a parent for most of history before we decided to get all labo-emo about it. You can receive your your children with respect and curiosity, not with drama or dread. You can clear out whatever obstacles are preventing you from living your most fulfilled life as a parent with the simple understanding that whatever is bad for you is probably also bad for your work. You can lay off the booze of it in order to keep a keener mind. You can nourish healthier relationships in order to keep yourself undistracted by self-invented emotional catastrophes. You can dare to be pleased sometimes with what you have created with your family. And if an interaction doesn't work out, you can always think of it as having been a worthwhile and constructive experiment. You can resist the seductions of grandiosity, blame, and shame. You can support other people in their family efforts, acknowledging the truth that there's plenty of room for everyone. You can measure your worth by your dedication to your family, not by your successes or failures. You can battle your demons through therapy, recovery, prayer, or humility instead of battling your child. 
in part by realizing that your demons were never the ones doing the work anyhow. You can believe that you are neither a slave to your child nor its master, but something far more interesting, its partner, Mm -hmm. and that the two of you are working together towards something intriguing and worthwhile. You can live a long life making and doing really cool things the entire time. And at the end of your days, you can thank your child for having blessed you with a charmed, interesting, passionate existence. That's another way to do it. Totally up to you. I love that. I subbed in some like random words, but (laughs) you get the idea. You can see it at the parallels of of creative work and and parenting. It makes so much fucking sense to me. And just the partnership aspect is something we're constantly struggling with. Just the lens of can we make friends (laughs) with our children and not just be their master or a slave to them? Mm -hmm. Can this be a partnership? And it's really just... Everyone's like, it's just about your lens. It's just about your approach. And you're like, fuck you, don't tell me that. But it seriously is. When you can really see it clearly sometimes, that kind of makes sense. I don't know. Similarly to parenting, Liz goes on to say that her writing is not that like magical dance all the time, but an unglamorous, disciplined labor more often than not. And sound like anything we know. (laughs) But she says still that sometimes it is. It's like fairy dust you know those moments that we feel that as parents yeah like you know when everyone when when people are smiling yeah kids are loving you everything's going well someone just learned something and <laughs> big little eyes are just staring into yours or they just give you this wet kiss on the lips and yeah. you don't know how it happened but who fucking cares yeah you could just die happy in that moment that's what i imagine you're talking yeah about. well she describes it even more beautifully no nothing against you but she says but sometimes it is fairy dust Mm -hmm. sometimes when I'm in the midst of writing I feel like I'm suddenly walking on one of those moving sidewalks that you find in a big airport terminal I still have a long slog to my gate and my baggage is still heavy but I can feel myself being gently propelled by some exterior force something is carrying me along something powerful and generous and that something is decidedly not me You know this feeling. It's the feeling you get when you've made something wonderful or done something wonderful and you look back at it later, all you can say is, I don't even know where that came from. You can't repeat it, you can't explain it, but it felt as if you were being guided. I only rarely experience this feeling, but it's the most magnificent sensation imaginable when it arrives. I don't think there's a more perfect happiness to be found in life than this state, except perhaps falling in love. In ancient Greek, the word for the highest degree of human happiness is eudaimonia, which Mm. basically means well-demoned, that is, nicely taken care of by some external divine creature spirit guide. Modern commentators, perhaps uncomfortable with this sense of divine mystery, simply call it flow or being in the zone. Mm. She kind of goes on from there to describe that the Greeks and Romans believed in this idea of a person not necessarily being a genius, but as having a genius, like a house elf that aided you with your labors. And I absolutely believe that sometimes I have that genius and sometimes I don't. And we talk about this a lot where it's like, it could be the same situation. It could be the same situation one day and the exact same situation the next day. With our kids? With our kids, with a, a challenge in our family, with just, you know, getting out of bed in the morning, whatever it is. And one of them... I'm inexplicably like able to 
do it. I'm like feel that I'm aided by this like divine power to navigate patiently, to negotiate, engage compassionately, whatever it is. Well, you know? doesn't that mean then that we are the same person throughout? So therefore, something must be affecting us, or channeled through us, or spiriting us with some fairy dust to allow us to get up to out of bed or to keep us in bed. And I think that that's really important when we think about our parenting. This might be a kind of tangent. Kel, but you go this idea that nothing we do or don't do should affect our sense of self and that is like the biggest ask in parenting if you ask me that we untie that what we do and don't do and how everyone feels about it from our sense of self and our self-worth and our worthiness as a person and you and i talk about doing that with our kids so not attaching something that they do that's great or something that they do that is not so great with our love for them with their um worthiness worthiness in any way because then as they grow older they're going to have this feeling when they fuck up or when they succeed i'm a better person or i'm a worse person and nobody wants to live on that fucking roller coaster or should we are who we are and i love that idea of of these these waves of influence happening to us because it takes the pressure off us Mm -hmm. you know maybe we don't get as much credit for our ego when we do something awesome like you know help help our kid through a meltdown or uh, you know avoid total catastrophe or something but that also means that when things go really badly that we can pick ourselves up and move forward so much faster Um, yeah but i think that's that's what it is is this this trick like a really wonderful trick to say like here's this alter ego that's there in the wings to hold your hand in spirit and get you through a hard spot Mm -hmm. you know and by that same token they can be a beloved scapegoat Mm -hmm. you know right like go on a you could be like oh uh what what would you call yours I don't know, Trish. Trish. Trish was on a cigarette break or getting her nails done during that tantrum, and she just couldn't be there to help me. Right. It's <laughs> not me. you. I'm sorry. I, I'm not a terrible person. Yeah. She just wasn't there. And maybe she'll be there another time, but that idea, yeah. Yeah, and that's what she says, too. She says, mm. quote, either way, the vulnerable human ego is protected. Mm. Protected from the corrupting influence of praise. Protected from the corrosive effects of shame. You know, the way she talks about it is such a relief to me, like that you can't expect it to be there for you all the time, but that, and that it will come and go and you must let it come and go. And that you are who you are. You're you. And that's okay. Despite that and throughout it. Yeah. And there was a quote, let me look here, page 75 that I wrote down. So she says that when that assistance does arrive, while it's happening, I thank the mystery for its help. And when it departs, I let the mystery go. And I keep working diligently anyhow, hoping that someday my genius will reappear. Hmm. Let me see if that's the end of it. Yeah. No, 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 no there's more. Hold on. Hmm. My genius will reappear. I work either way, you see, assisted or unassisted, because that is what you must do in order to live a fully creative life. I work steadily, and I always thank the process. Whether I'm touched by grace or not, I thank creativity for allowing me to engage with it at all. Because either way, it's all kind of amazing. What we get to do, what we get to attempt, what we sometimes get to commune with, gratitude always, always gratitude. Mm, I love that. Yeah, but that idea that having these forces 
that we can channel doesn't mean that we can just sit on our asses all day being like, I'm not going to work on my parenting. I will be touched by the the gods or p- tugged by the demons, you know? Mm-hmm. And no, we also have to just, you know, we have to live up to that and we have to, to still be working um, and be working with and despite, I guess. Yeah. And I think this leads into another chapter of hers. Where is this? Um, oh, yeah. It's kind of back farther. Called Pinned by the Boulder. And... I like how she explores that kind of concept of of having a genius instead of being one because it's something that we talk about so much in our interactions with our kids, Han. Mm. You are a huge stickler about labels. I am. You know, and she she kind of talks in the same way about how when we are when we label ourselves or when we label other people that way, it can create a pressure. Like mm when the gods were no longer responsible for the mysteries of the universe, the burden fell on the shoulders of we mortals who were then driven mad, cracking under the weight of the responsibility. (laughs) Like that when artists are burdened with the label of genius, then they can lose the ability to take themselves lightly or create freely. Or as when parents are burdened with the label of parent, they can lose the ability to take themselves lightly or to parent freely. It's the same thing. It's the same. yeah, finding labels and using labels is a way you can control. And it is this godly thing to say, you are this, you are that, I am this. But it is a huge responsibility and a very scary thing to be wielding. Yeah, yeah. but and this is an, another example of how we do these things. We have these values and these principles that we're trying to do with our kids. And then we have to turn them around and do them for ourselves too, or vice versa. Sometimes can it starts with them, sometimes it starts with us. Like, you're saying this this burden of being the parent and being all-knowing and being always in control and the power and having none of that lightness and flexibility and that ethereal quality of sometimes I can do it and sometimes I can't. Sometimes that genius it's as a not parent all is with on me. me. Right. Yeah. So taking that and then taking that same advice in the way we interact with our kids where we are talking all the time. We're, we're not saying, you know, you're so pretty, you're so fast, you're so smart, you're so those things. Like we tiptoe very carefully mm-hmm. around, you know, praise or reproachment. Like we're not going to do that. But like for those same reasons that, I mean, why? Tell, tell me why. Because a label becomes an expectation and then it becomes self yeah, it builds a narrative. Yeah, absolutely. Within within a child. If you're smart, then you're told you're smart, then you think, oh my God, I'm smart. And, but then you come across an opportunity where your smartness might be proven wrong, where you may not know whatever it is. So then you maybe don't take that challenge on, or you make excuses, or you hide. But basically labels create an ego, or what you and I call a glittering image that is not real and it is not connected to our authentic selves. It separates it, us from it ourselves. It separates because a label is a judgment from some other, someone else. It has nothing to do with who you actually are. And I just, I think they're really, they can but be really dangerous. they're all meant with the best possible sure. intention. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Elizabeth also speaks to, you know, one example she used was Harper Lee, the author, who said that when you've reached the top, there's only one way to go. And that kind of gets into the idea of success and failure and comparison and competition. Mm-hmm. It's all so 
label focused and connected to the assumption that we must always be victorious. And if you can't win them, you might as well not even play. And she says that in the end, creativity is a gift to the creator, not just a gift to the audience. And that's something we talk about so much, just letting the kids sing without our clapping at the end of it. Or any of those or things, like paint or do right, art without like our appraisal. After. Fostering that yeah. intrinsic motivation and self-satisfaction. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some other ways that we try to do that? I think the idea is describing rather than labeling. Finding ways to mm-hmm. help them build that understanding themselves. Because self-discovery is, it's about seeing how you're reflected through other people's eyes. But it has to be done very, very carefully and subtly. Otherwise, you're... I mean, kids are sponges. We're all sponges. We end up taking what everybody else says and building that as our image and building that as our, our personality and our sense of self. And I think especially when, when we're parenting, we have to be really careful about that stuff. Um, yeah. How do we go about that? To allow them to find those things out themselves and put the pieces together themselves rather than slapping a label on the game itself and being yeah. like, this is what you are. Yeah, but I think that she kind of reflects on this as well, this need to pigeonhole people. And it's, it comes from this desire to like put order to a sense of chaos, which mm-hmm. is so understandable. Yeah. You know, and not only are we trying to like build these good values, like we want our kids to know that they're the most beautiful, the smartest, the mm-hmm. working the hardest, all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I it, get that, but I don't know. When she kind of quoted W.C. Fields and said that he said a quote that was something like, people's judgments about you are none of your business. <laughs> and that... It's not what they call you, it's what you answer to. Mm-hmm. And just like, keep doing your thing. And I feel like that's what speaks to what you were talking about, which is like, we want our kids to just be doing their thing because they want to do it, not because someone else is going to praise them or condemn them or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, that's just hard to do in general. We have cognitive dissonance when we don't have an answer to something. Our brains are not designed to live in the gray, play in the gray, as you and I talk about very easily. We like concrete answers. Go to in that water, stay away from that cave. Mm-hmm. Like our brains have been programmed that way for survival. Um, and it's really hard when we're like, well, maybe this, or possibly that, or kind of this. Um, that's, that's a really big ask for all of us in our lives in general, let alone when we're parenting little people. Yeah, but it gets murky around things like creativity, like talk about playing in the gray, that in itself, mm-hmm. it's not like you're good at math, like you get the right answers. Like creativity is such a, mm-hmm. a strange field. And I remember growing up and people saying like, you're so creative, like they either say it with like a tinge of sadness or a sneer, mm-hmm. you know, like that's just me and I was born that way. And what I like about what Elizabeth talks about is like that that everyone is born creative. Mm -hmm. And those labels around creativity with children kind of like can complicate the child's outlook on themselves and what they make. And I love that, like everyone is born creative, everyone Mm -hmm. is creative. And we have built these classifications around what is good and what is beautiful and all of these things. Yeah, or we don't even judge our kid or label our kid, but they hear us labeling ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm not a singer, so I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. sing. Oh, I can't draw that for you. I have because a terrible I'm a bad voice. artist. Yeah. You know. Oh, I I I started piano and I never finished. But it's so, hard. I think you know. like my I've seen my father-in-law do this sometimes, where he says like I'm a terrible swimmer. You draw that. I'm a terrible drawer. And he's saying it in this self-deprecating way to make my daughter feel good. Mm-hmm. But I'm always like, oh, stop saying that. When she hears <laughs> that, she's learning that 
you don't have faith in yourself that you can't engage in that gray area. That you're either or or. Yeah, yeah. it's not either or. It's both. It's yeah. it's you, whatever that is. Um, yeah, and I think Elizabeth's family was such a cool, empowering example of just going out and making shit and living creatively and doing your own thing, like we were mm. talking about, just following your own path, whether that meant like getting goats or you know rebelling against the man or baking sewing learning piano or beekeeping like the list went on and Mm -hmm. she grew up watching her parents shape their own world exactly to their liking while nobody was looking is Mm -hmm. how she talked about it and that helped her kind of like create this sense that she never needed permission or a permission slip Mm -hmm. to lead a creative life and she didn't need someone to tell her no. you're good at this or you're oh, so you should keep going in it or right. you're not so good at this so maybe you should stop. Right. She was yeah. raised on a on a life of curiosity and exploration and you know the journey. Mm-hmm. And I think to a degree we're lucky that we had that with mom and dad. Mm-hmm. I think they did that a lot. Like I remember up in mom's art studio on the wall hand painted like huge like maybe like 10 feet long over the window it said do whatever works. Mm -hmm. And that was like her mantra. But I remember to the point where I would like show them my report card being proud and be like, don't, didn't you look at my report card? And they were like, no, we didn't look like they just didn't really care because now I see that, that they were like, that's your report card. And probably were like, like, we don't don't need me. You don't need me to, to validate that for you. That's just your work. And what, what's my work and what's our collective work? But yeah. your performance is not my work. And that's a really huge thing. I think about that a lot. Yeah, but I think it reminds me, maybe this is because we grew up this way, but it reminds me of our husbands. Mm. Like both of them are such kind of like weird renaissance dudes that just- I thought you were going to say rebels. Well, rebels too. Like talk about <laughs> Gretchen Rubin's like tendencies. They're straight up fucking rebels, yeah. both of them. Mm-hmm. Um but both of them are like that. They're like, mm. oh, I want to, I was like, I want to learn how to um, work in that computer program. I'm going to teach myself. And then, oh, I'm going to start teaching classes at the Portland Art Institute in it, uh, like less than a year later. And Justin's like, I'm going to start farming because I want to teach to kids doing this. And so he just t- figures it out. And mm. neither of them is ever, like, I think they both value the not knowing. And it's it's come so easily to them to say, I don't know that. I want to learn that. Mm-hmm. What? Never heard of that. I'm going to test it out. But I think it goes so against our culture of saying, I feel like the culture tells us you need to know something and you need to know it well and do it well. And that is the badge you wear. That is a badge of honor. Knowing a bunch of shit that somewhat well, you don't get any badges for that. You don't yeah. get any gold stars. You don't get a degree you for every single thing. You don't get an A thing. on yeah. your paper for that. You don't get a degree in it, so it doesn't count somehow. If someone's not saying, good job, you get a pat on the back. And I think this whole idea of what Liz is talking about and creativity in general is that it is innately personal and has no fucking connection to what other people think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that that's what parenting should be. It should have no connection to what other people think. It is your world that you are working within. It is mm-hmm. your experience. Yeah. Um, well, she sort of explains this like concept of what the guys have, like the way that they're, they have this freedom to create and a freedom to explore. She describes as what she calls creative entitlement, like mm-hmm. a good kind of arrogance. Mm-hmm. And it's 
an entitlement to exist and therefore express yourself. And she says it's not like being a princess or acting like the world owes you something because I know entitlement is kind of a dirty word. Yeah. And I don't think it should be. But it simply means, quote, believing that you are allowed to be here and that merely by being here, you are allowed to have a voice and a vision of your own. Mm. And it's it's incredible. I'm going to read Goosebumps. this passage really quick. Yeah, Keep going. I know. I've got to get to page 92. Hold on. I feel like Renee talks about that sense oh, of totally. belonging and... Uh-huh. I made a note about that. Hmm. Let's see. ESP. The poet David White calls this sense of creative entitlement the arrogance of belonging and claims that it is an absolutely vital privilege to cultivate if you wish to interact more vividly with life. Without this arrogance of belonging, you will never be able to take any creative risks whatsoever. Without it, you will never push yourself out of the suffocating insulation of personal safety and into the frontiers of the beautiful and the unexpected. The arrogance of belonging is not about egotism or self-absorption. It's a strange way. It's the opposite. It is a divine force that will actually take you out of yourself and allow you to engage more fully with life. Because often what keeps you from creative living is your Mm self-absorption, your self-doubt, your self-disgust, your self-judgment, your crushing sense of self-protection. The arrogance of belonging pulls you out of the darkest depths of self-hatred, not by saying, I am the greatest, but by merely saying, I'm here. (laughs) I believe that this good kind of arrogance, this simple entitlement to exist, and therefore to express yourself, is the only weapon with which to combat the nasty dialogue that may automatically arise within your head whenever you get an artistic impulse. So for those of us who weren't necessarily raised that way, I also love how she talks about like negotiating and standing up to that voice in her own head. And it made me think about... Mm. That same voice is apparent, like, I fucked up, I failed, I ruined them, I'm a terrible mom, like, what are the ANTs, the automatic Mm. negative thoughts that our brains go to in those struggly times, you know? This idea that you have to defend yourself to yourself, Mm -hmm. you know? But I think that you also have to think about the fact that we don't want our kids to have to defend themselves to themselves someday. And what are we doing as parents that are letting them have that arrogance of belonging. You know, I think it's so natural that we're always like, oh, don't let them get a big head. Don't let them think that they're right all the time. Don't let them get away with anything. You know, I think that we always have this, or at least I have this feeling of like, I got to keep them in check. Don't want them to become spoiled or rude or bratty, arrogant or bratty. And I think it's, it's really easy to um, kind of translate kids' behaviors into these adult kind of tropes, um, which isn't necessarily true. And I think it's so easy for us to maybe be, be squashing that, that beautiful arrogance of belonging, the beautiful Mm. side of it while we're trying to, you know, raise an adult who's only a child right now. And this is really inspiring to me to remember, we want them to have that beautiful arrogance of belonging as well and find a way to ride that fine line and not have to be the, the arrogance police all the time with our kids. Let but them I, let their I, personalities come out. But I think you're right that it's hard to trust in that because we're so scared. Yeah. <laughs> like of that flip side of are they turning into a brat? Am I being permissive? Are they being rude? Are they going to turn into an asshole? Well, only because it's connected to our own worries about do I deserve to be a parent? Did I mess up then? What would them being that say about me? Yeah. And we should just be letting them be that and have it not necessarily reflect on us. Yeah. Is that crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I think... It's something that we talk about all the time. We're going to be like broken records about this, about 
supporting our kids authentic true selves whatever that looks like however messy and shitty that looks like sometimes with the confidence and the trust that that's going to help them get to their best self yeah like that their their authentic true self is their best self yeah and that's the path that's the path that's what we need to be nurturing Mm -hmm. and yes it can come out in tricky behaviors yes it can come out moments where we're gonna have to say no or stop sure absolutely lots of them but what you're talking about kelty is withholding our love or shaming or judging or labeling or in a very well-meaning attempt to prevent them from turning into an asshole yeah that's the fear I think that we deal with a lot. Yeah. And the flip side of that is the trust that with that support, whether it's like their their messy, hard, mean, tough, gross self with someone steadfast by their side, seeing them. They're allowed to be there, uh, be here like that in this moment. Yeah. They have a right to show up that way. Yeah. And we talk about that right. Like, I, I don't even think that everyone necessarily thinks that their children have a right to disagree to disagree with we will talk a lot about that that'll be a big one (laughs) but but yeah okay what else Cal? well uh liz talks about being a new writer and being rejected over and over again and i'm kind of going through a phase like that with my daughter where i'm feeling kind of constantly rejected Mm -hmm. so this sort of hit home for me and i loved her stubborn optimism and it was so inspiring to me i'm gonna read a little a little bit here are you gonna change the words at all no okay okay um i disliked the rejection letters who wouldn't but i took the long view my intention was to spend my entire life in communion with writing period that being the case editors could reject me all they wanted i wasn't going anywhere whenever i got those rejection letters then i would permit my ego to say aloud to whomever had signed it you think you can scare me off i've got another 80 years to wear you down There are people who haven't even been born yet who are going to reject me someday. That's how long I plan to stick around. Mm -hmm. And that just made me think of my more shining moments with my kid where I'm able to not take the rejection in whatever form it comes personally. Where you're saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm in this for the long haul, baby. Yeah. You can't scare me. You can't piss me off enough for me to leave you. Yeah. But I I think that's the flip side of I'm stuck with you Mm -hmm. until I die, (laughs) which is like the biggest, like like the the hard side of being a parent. You're like, oh my God, this is never going to end. This is a lifelong work. This is like, this is a lifelong work. Lifelong commitment. Right. (laughs) And just kind of reframing that in, in such a beautiful way really moved me. She's like, you know, I got, I'm going to wear you down. I'm going to kill you with kindness. Mm-hmm. You, you can't phase me. I'm, you know, and she talks later. We'll come back to it. But stubborn gladness, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm not going to, you know, give up on you. Well, and what I put out there is going to have more effect on my experience of it than what comes back at me. Oh, sure. Yeah. And another really good quote from it. I'm going to read really quick. She said, no way was I going to give up on my work simply because it wasn't working. That wasn't the point of it. The rewards could not come from the external results. I knew that. The rewards had to come from the joy of puzzling out the work itself and from the private awareness I held that I had chosen a devotional path and I was being true to it. Mm. And I love that. But thinking about that in parenting, how yeah. do we how do we choose to see these challenges as an opportunity to puzzle things out, to move forward in a productive, 
curious, excited way when the shit hits the fan instead of just being like, I fucking quit. Yeah. Like, I think we have moments where we have to take a break and we have to say, I need to go into my room but I, or I, think, I need a night out. I think that's out. what happened is we feel like we can't quit because we're parents. This isn't yeah. a job you can walk away from. So you end up having this trapped You can't be sometimes. a former parent like you can be a former writer right. or a retired what, parent. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever it is. You're like, in it. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I think that you're right. Thinking about quitting and fantasizing about quitting in these small ways, like I quit this moment, I have to go in the other room and be alone. Or but I think there are ways to quit as a parent, and I, I, I don't know. In my mind, I envision people who just give up on their kids, or who give up on themselves or their families, and yeah. that's living in the same house. They still give up. They just they've quit, and they're still together. They're still yeah. together, and I think it's it's really inspiring me to hear that it's just about you doing the work. And not about necessarily what the results are. The results keep you working, keep you changing up the game, keep you moving forward, but they shouldn't be slowing you down. They should be propelling you forward. Another thing that I really loved in the permission chapter, she talks about, quote unquote, building space for the paradox. Mm. And I'm intrigued. Yeah, okay. So this ties into a lot of things we talk about. One, it can be both mm-hmm. is something we're constantly saying when our minds are, are jostling for order and we're trying to put a you know, round peg in a square hole. That doesn't make sense. Reverse, <laughs> reverse that. And um, also just our empowerment of taking our role, not ourselves seriously. Okay. Um, so anyway, she talks about building space for paradox. And I'm going to read this little quote. In conclusion, then, art is absolutely meaningless. It is, however, also deeply meaningful. That's a paradox, of course, but we're all adults here, and I think we can handle it. I think we can all hold two mutually contradictory ideas at the same time without our heads exploding. We can try. So let's give this one a try. The paradox that you need to comfortably inhabit if you wish to live a contented creative life slash parenting life goes something like this. My creative expression must be the most important thing in the world to me if I'm to live artistically, and it also must not matter at all if I'm to live sanely. Mm. And this was just such a, an aha to me about parenting and comes up later when she talks about kind of living lightly, you know, mm-hmm. um, the kind of trickster martyr thing. But, mm-hmm. but, but really, parenting being this incredible honor and this huge responsibility and very important the most important thing people will say this is the most important thing i've ever done in my life or will do in my life but at the same time it also has to it's a lot of pressure it's a lot of pressure (laughs) so how do we kind of let that pressure off you know like for our sanity yeah yeah but how do we let that pressure off right you know how do we take our role but not ourselves seriously you know how do we know we're doing our best but then sometimes strive for more. Mm-hmm. And then how do we give ourselves grace when that's not working and forgive ourselves and then strive for more and then give ourselves grace? Like, how does that dance work? I mean, I, I feel like it all comes back to our egos and really digging lay, the layer by layer by layer to get to our essential self that doesn't need the praise or the censure to move us forward in life. And when we can keep working and finding ways and everybody's ways and work are different 
to be loving and accepting ourselves as we are, then we can accept both of those things and hold both of those things in our hands at the same time. That parenting and my kids are the most important thing to me. And also, like, they really don't matter. It's fine. They're okay. No big deal. I need to have a life. I'm doing I need a to have fine job. Interests. And Jesus Christ, <clears throat> this parenting thing is ridiculous. Like, I, I don't need to be a crazy person. And how can you kind of bring those two things together? Yeah. It's complicated. Yeah. It's a very fine line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is the work of parenting. That That is a big piece of this work, yeah. I feel like. For sure. <clears throat> I think in one of our intro episodes, we talked about making vows to our children. We sort of explored mm-hmm. that idea of mm-hmm. well, we'd gone to a wedding and we're so moved by the vows that the couple shared. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, we've never done this for our kids. We had them. There's sort of like an assumed um, vow mm-hmm. of connection and and constant work and eternal love and yeah. responsibility too and all these things, but it's nothing that's ever been made explicit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that she, that Elizabeth sort of like, you know, nods to that in some ways. You know, she said that instead I vowed to the universe that I would write forever, regardless of the result. I promised that I would try to be brave about it and grateful and as compl- uncomplaining as I could possibly be. I also promised that I would never ask writing to take care of me financially, that I was always take care of it, meaning that I would support us both by any means necessary. I did not ask for any external rewards for my devotion. I just want to spend my life as near to writing as possible, forever close to that source of my curiosity and contentment. That's so sweet. That's really sweet. And yeah, just thinking about it's not about the results. It's not about the rewards. It's not about whether our kids say I love you and give you a kiss at the end of the night or at their graduation or say thank you. It's that we have chosen to devote our lives in some capacity, likely a large one, to parenthood, to parenthood, to partnership with this this little being, yeah. this spirit or multiple spirits. Yeah, totally. You know, that that doesn't end when they start wearing underwear or go to school or leave the house or get married and it shouldn't be rocked by any challenges we face with them yeah or their reaction or their um retribution or their you know complicated lives that are so their own mm-hmm. you know that it's not all about us not all like, about us i feel like liz talks about after that a all lot. That i think like theme. the whole big thing is don't take it so personally everything like you could just or seriously or seriously <laughs> Everything, but when people say "don't take it so personally," oh god, so that pisses you off I so say, bad. Fuck you. Yeah. So she does it very eloquently, where I'm almost <laughs> convinced she's got a knack. Yeah, yeah. But I think her chapter on the shit sandwich was okay. probably my like the big aha and my first. The first time I read this, it was the moment that I connected to this in sort of like a parenting lens. And I think in some ways it might have been like one of the primary seeds of upbringing, hmm. you know, do you remember it? I feel like I kind of told you about it mm-hmm. at some point, yeah, I remember you but it. she basically tells a story of a writer friend of hers who would quote unquote, descend into dark funks of depression about his lack of success and inability to get published. He would sulk and rage. He'd say he basically wanted it all to add up to something. And she felt that she really differed from him. And her value was that learning how to endure your disappointment and frustration is part of the job of a creative person and like where the real work is. Mm. And 
I remember reading that and just being like, oh gosh. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Like we have these lofty ideals as parents. We get into this without thinking twice. We have no fucking clue what we're signing on for. And like just thinking about the job as learning how to endure our disappointment and frustration. It's not those glimmery moments and that's the job. And these are just the hard parts in between. But like that is the the job. Mm-hmm. It's a huge part of the job and and where the most work is. Well, I think our culture says these successful moments in parenting are when people are laughing or are successful moments in life in general, holding hands, laughing, cuddling, doing something, learning. And it's just not in our culture to say really good shit happens when people are screaming or when somebody's crying or when your head is about to explode or when you really have something to work out with somebody else. There's just, there isn't that frame of mind for negative things. Mm -hmm. And so I love that she's kind of, she's connecting that to creativity and saying this is something you have to endure that these disappointments and frustrations are part of that job just like all of the things we go through with parenting that was your big aha was that oh my god all of these tough things aren't the exception to parenting they are parenting that's the job for better or worse for for better or worse and so what am i going to do about that yeah but i think it brings her to this question of what's your favorite brand of shit sandwich (laughs) as in Every pursuit, no matter how glamorous seeming it is, has its own like lousy, disagreeable aspects to the work. Like, hmm. you know, her quote, everything sucks some of the time. Hmm. And I think we all have this kind of grass is greener or even within a certain realm, like that parent seems to have it totally figured out. They look great. They're doing wonderful or, you know, whatever it is. But I think we're all tempted to say today was good except for when they had that meltdown Mm -hmm. or today was going so great and then we got in this fight and now the whole day's fucked you know it that is our mindset about good versus bad like in that separate kind of way yeah but i think the the big problem with that shit sandwich is she's saying that like if you love and want something enough, whatever it is, mm. you, you can't mind eating that shit sandwich mm. and all the crap that comes with it. But with parenting, I feel like people are signing on for what they do not know yet and what they do not understand yet. And we talk all the time about how you, could, you can like live side by side with someone who's a parent. You could think you get it all. You think you understand every part of it. You think you know what's coming and you just don't until you go through with it. Mm. And so... But I think that's how it is for a writer, too. Everything seems glamorous or cool. Like, I can't wait to be a parent. I can't wait to be an author. And then you like get into it, and you're like, holy shit, this is not 100% mm-hmm. fun or 100% exciting or 100% rewarding. There's all this other stuff. And how can I value that with the same you know, lens or approach as I value all the good stuff? Yeah. She... Not to change the subject. Oh, go ahead. But, that was kind of the end of my thought. Okay, cool. Um, she kind of describes creative living as something that's not always easy, but always possible, which made me just be like, Bleh. like, you know, that feeling as a parent where you're like, it's not easy, um, but I could probably be doing more if I mm. just X, Y, Z, like figured it out or whatever. Like you see some people and you're like, they just have that thing that allows them to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. And and I don't, so it's just always hard, yeah. you know. And 
it's just one more example of how like you know creative living is similar because you you have to carve it out you have to make it you have to dream it you have to build it out of fucking thin air to navigate it and embrace it and 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 rock it and that's it's it, and we have those moments where one second it's so heartening, and we're like, God, yeah, all we have to do is figure this out, mm-hmm. and and it'll be fine. We've we've been in a challenge like this. Let's just organize around it. We're gonna make a schedule, or we're gonna talk through the pros and cons, or whatever it is. And then the next second, it's the opposite, and so disheartening because you feel ill-equipped in the moment, or you're just like, there's so many things I I can't make space for that in my life, or you just it feels impossible. You're looking kind of judgy. No, <clears throat> I'm trying not to sound judgy. Okay. So I'm trying not to think judgy, judgy. to me. No, just okay. in general. I, I get that. And I'm just, I guess I'm thinking that this is what we struggle with in our lives all the time. And I think, I feel like it's one of our biggest struggles. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's everybody's biggest struggle. And if it's not about parenting, which it is for most people and all of us, because we have none of us who have been equipped. parents who, who have the same struggles. They have the tr- struggles in, you know, health or nutrition or finances or, or organizing their schedule, organizing their the schedule or whatever it is. And I think what's unique to parenting is that we just have that expectation that we should already know how to do it. Where we, you know, we go to a guy to do our taxes and we go to a doctor to help us with whatever. And like parenting is really just, it's this role and this responsibility and this career we literally assume with no training. Um, it's like you step into it as easily as you were born. Yeah. As you birth someone else. Yeah. And it's, that it seems like logical, but it's not the same. But I think that it's then logical to, to feel like, well, shouldn't everything just kind of move along work and out. work itself out? Yeah. Shouldn't this just be a natural progression? Shouldn't I just go with the flow with this parenting thing? I think that is that is the biggest misconception about parenting that I get really aggro about. And that's a big part of why we're here, <laughs> um, is that we don't have to work at it. And I think if you're listening to this, then you're working at it. And there are a lot of people working at it in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different times in their lives. So anyway... I just, I kind of felt like I needed to talk about that for some reason. Yeah, I think, well, I think it's sort of connected to this idea of something being hard, but always possible. So we talk about like, you know, the hard stuff being the good stuff. And it's hard to talk about all this parenting stuff, but it's possible. We have friends who don't really seem to want to talk about it with us. And that's totally okay. And that just means that they're not there. They're not ready or whatever it is, and they're making time in their lives for other things. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had friends who are like, I'm just not reading all the parenting books and this and that. And I'm like, but you're working out on your lunch break. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. I'm not working out on my lunch break. I would love to do that. And I think one you of have a retirement account set up. You do. I don't fucking have that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, uh, you know, your house is clean, whatever. Um, ours is not. But I think her example she had was, Herman Melville wrote a letter to his buddy, Nathaniel Hawthorne, lamenting about how he just like didn't have enough time to write about a whale. And he was just like <laughs> pulled hither and thither by circumstances and just couldn't get it done. And that's one of those things, too, where I'm like, oh, is that supposed to make me feel good or make me feel bad? If like mm-hmm. fucking Herman Melville was having problems doing it, like he did it. 
he, he, dick, he did baby. it, but but it's because it's him. But it, it also says, it, by the same token, everyone struggles to make time for the things that they value. Well, I think that's an important distinction. You said make time. And I think it's often in our minds, oh, especially yeah. for things that scare us, we're mm. like, well, I can't find time. I don't have the time. I can't find yeah. time to get to the bottom of these meltdowns. I can't find time to figure out a better eating routine. I can't find time to deal with cooperation around toilet stuff. And it's about making time. And it's just, it's scary. And that's something we talk about so much is trying to make these accessible and approachable. And like, we're all in this together so that we can take those things on. I need the same thing for finances to be talking about scary money things. Everybody has their thing Mm -hmm. and rotates through as they, you know, move through the world. But um, Moby Dick people. Yeah. Stubborn gladness. Han, I feel like I've brought this up with you a bunch of times. I'm like considering a stubborn gladness tattoo. I'm sure there are many out there. I'm sure. Um, But Liz talks about an early decision to, quote unquote, reject the cult of artistic martyrdom and place trust in the notion that my work loves me as much as I love it, that it wants to play with me as much as I want to play with it, and that this source of love and play is boundless. Mm, Goosebumps. I know. Love that. And this resonates so much, I think. As parents, we often have to take a big leap of faith um, or assumption in trusting the fact that our children love us and are as grateful for all we do as we are for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And holding that trust, especially in the hardest times, is what keeps us going. Yeah. But she talks about approaching her work from a place of stubborn gladness. And I consider that a fucking superpower, whether we're talking about creative living or parenting or whatever. It's such a reminder that we have a choice in how we approach our lives and the things that happen. Yeah. That your daughter can be trying to scratch you and be screaming at Mm -hmm. you in a really tough moment when she is super tired or something. And you can still say in your mind, I'm thinking right now about how much she loves me because that's going to directly inform the way that I love her in this moment. Mm -hmm. When she needs it the most. Exactly. Um, and I think it's something that you've talked about before, like that snapshot concept, Mm -hmm. that snapshot concept. Um, yeah, I think, um, Susan Stiffelman talks about it and I know Shafali Sabari also talks about her version of it. I think she calls it the script, ditch the script, but both talk about this idea of this vision we have for our kids, this image in our mind, um, of who they should be what they should be like, how perfect it could be. This just this positive slash very dangerous expectation we have for our kids and how that can be really problematic. Um, or it can be really helpful. Um, in Simplicity Parenting, they actually use that snapshot to hold on to in the moments that we're having the toughest time with our kids yeah. to remind us not that they should be doing that or being that in that moment, but that that's how they actually are sometimes. It's so like people who have like severe anxiety, they're like, paint that picture. You're floating in a, in a like a, well, with a beer koozie on the ocean uh, to I, go to your happy place. And this is like the parent version of that. Yeah, sort but of. Well, I guess I, I kind of like separated two things. There's, there's a snapshot of an expectation that doesn't exist. And then there's the snapshot of a memory that is very real and connected to the person who's screaming in front of you. So those are two kind of ways. We're going to be talking a lot about how expectations can be really difficult, but how connecting to positive reality that has happened before 
without expectation can actually help bring us into the moment and connect better when our kids are being really fucking crazy. Yeah. She said, quote, I've decided to meet that destiny with as much good cheer and as little drama as I can because how I choose to handle myself as a writer parent <laughs> is entirely my own choice. I can make my parenting into a killing field or I can make it into a really interesting cabinet of curiosities. Oh, yeah. Tweet, tweet, tweet. I know, right? This, Thanks, Oprah. This um, leads into the whole like martyr trickster thing, which we mm-hmm. talked about sort of in one of our intro episodes. Well, I was going to say, hearing that, I'm wondering if people are thinking, I've decided to meet my crazy toddler with as much good cheer and little drama as I can, because how I handle myself is entirely my own choice. I can make my parenting into a killing field, or I can make it into a really interesting cabinet of curiosities. Mm-hmm. I think... What I would have normally thought five years ago is this person is lame and is a pu- <laughs> is a pushover and is being taken advantage of by their child. Yeah, I would have been like, I can't I can't think of the word right now, but like pushover, mm-hmm. like wimp, wimp in denial. I'm mm-hmm. gonna let this little person treat me like shit right now, and I'm gonna and have I'm, good cheer about it. Yeah, I'm gonna have good cheer about it. I'm gonna have a smile on my fucking face. Yeah, like no, absolutely not. Yeah. Yet here you and I are. So yeah, what's changed? I don't know. Reading books like this, taking courses, yeah. parenting. I don't know, but I see that smile of good cheer on your face, Kelty, and such little drama in moments where I'm like, holy shit, if those were my kids, I do not know what I would be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you, you have it. I think that the word is, she said, I've decided to be my destiny. It's literally destiny. Uh-huh. And I think that's what it is, is you, you begin to realize the longer you're parenting that this is destiny. And like we've talked before, you signed on for, for this. And in a predestined way, you realize how little control you actually have over situations that are really challenging. You have ways to handle. You have ways to diffuse. Mitigate. You have, right... Um, you have ways to act compassionately. You have ways to work around before and after. But you're actually meeting a destiny. Mm. And you're coming face to face with something that you can't control and you can't change. So why the fuck not? Are you going to just like meet it with cheer? Mm. Otherwise, you're going to live a life of like sadness and, and, and desperation. And do you want to live on a killing field? You know? That doesn't sound very fun. Not so much, no. Mm. But I think that kind of making it that cabinet of curiosities is something we talk about a lot in terms of like, don't jump to conclusions, don't paint a picture, don't tank the experience or throw acid on acid about mm-hmm. it. Making Approaching something with curiosity has so many amazing... But, but that literally, this sentence is like the art of mastering the mindset of motherhood. Yeah. To me. Yeah, it's, it's it. This yeah. is like the big quote from the entire book that just like I try to remember all the time. Mm-hmm. And it, well, it and that destiny idea too and I don't want to go into this too too long but I feel like Shafali Sabari talks about that too and mm-hmm. I mean everybody talks about it. It's such a beautiful fucking idea that we are we're destined to be, be matched with the little people that we're matched with just as we feel destined we're matched with our partner. Um, that the things they drive us crazy about are the things that maybe we need to be working on that 
that we also think are sometimes cute sometimes, and then we fucking hate them. But like that we're matched with our kids for a certain reason too, that somehow we have something to give them and somehow they have something to give us. Um, and that there is, there is destiny behind that. Yeah. But I think it's about awareness and she kind of segues into that being like, do you want to be the martyr or the trickster? Okay. Tell us about and that. I, I literally want to read this entire section out loud from start to finish. Do we have time for no, that? You're this not going to let me. Long. Yeah. So quote, in order to let go of the addiction to creative suffering, parenting suffering, you must reject the way of the martyr and embrace the way of the trickster. Mm-hmm. And she talks about how we all have a bit of both in us. It's not just one or the other, but at some point in your journey, you have to make a decision about which camp you belong to, as in like which parts of yourself to nourish, cultivate, and bring into being. Mm. And, and I think that just speaks to being aware, being like, how am I doing? What's going on with me? How's this making me feel? Do I want to die on that hill? Yeah. Can, can I be making a different choice? Talk about labels. Yeah. If we're going to label ourselves, do we want to hashtag ourselves martyr or trickster? Yeah. So what do those two things mean? How, do, how would you interpret those in the realm of parenting? Well, I will read a quote where she sort of explains it. A and short quote. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to quote, quote away here. Okay. Grab my bookmark. Okay. So she says, martyr energy is dark, solemn. So picture this. If you're a parent, picture this if you spend time with small people that drive you crazy. Martyr energy is dark, solemn, macho, hierarchical, fundamentalist, austere, unforgiving, and profoundly rigid. Trickster energy is light, sly, transgender, transgressive, animist, seditious, primal, and endlessly shape-shifting. Martyr says, I will sacrifice everything to fight this unwinnable war, even if it means being crushed (laughs) to death under a wheel of torment. Trickster says, okay, you enjoy that. As for me, I'll be over here in this corner, running a successful little black market operation on the side of your unwinnable war. Martyr says, life is pain. Trickster says, life is interesting. Martyr says, the system is rigged against all there is good and sacred. Trickster says, There is no system. Everything is good and nothing is sacred. Martyr says, nobody will ever understand me. Trickster says, pick a card, any card. (laughs) Martyr says, the world can never be solved. Trickster says, perhaps not, but it can be gamed. Martyr says, through my torment, the truth shall be revealed. Trickster says, I didn't come here to suffer, pal. Martyr says, death before dishonor. Trickster says, let's make a deal. Martyr always ends up dead in a heap of broken glory while Trickster trots off to enjoy another day. Whoa. Yeah. So it's easy to kind of picture yourself in these roles. We are both we all have the been time. There. We've been there. So many times. Can we just yeah. be the trickster a little more than we're the martyr? We, we've got our martyr moments and we describe it as that. Oh, yeah. Like we'll be like, oh, this thing happened. It was a martyr moment. Mm-hmm. But again, just labeling that helps. Yeah. Helps us gain that awareness. I would love to wear the trickster badge more often than the martyr. But I think that we really talk about it in the same way that Liz evoked the like having a genius instead Mm -hmm. of being a genius. Like, I wasn't a martyr. I had the martyr. I summoned the martyr today. I summoned the martyr. Today I was able to summon the trickster and and he was with me. I channeled it. Mm -hmm. And and it helped or it got us through this thing or whatever it is. It's so good. Do you guys want to read this yet? 
Yeah, right. You might read it faster than we're talking about. <laughs> no, it. you could probably read it by Most not, definitely. It's not that many pages, but I, I would recommend getting the audible version so you can hear Elizabeth Gilbert read it because mm. her voice is magic. I want to just kind of like have her read me to sleep every night. Um, anyway, it's kind of the hard, like one of the other paradoxes that that she had been referring to which is one of the most fucked up parts of our work, not just as parents, but just being a human being on this planet, which is how can we take this incredibly big responsibility and think about it as a game? Yeah. You know, like how can we take this really big deal less seriously? How can we respect our parenting and honor it and work hard for it, but also stay light, stay flexible, have humor, you know, not take it too seriously. Yeah, that trickster energy, yeah. you know. I think it's like, it's so counterintuitive to take this like important, serious responsibility lightly. You know, like lighten up hand. Wasn't your motto last year, loosen up hand or lighten it, up? It's this year too. Oh, it is. Loosen up again. <laughs> it, it lives Second on. year in a row. <laughs> it lives on. <laughs> loosen up hand. Yeah. But Liz says that the more lightly you can pass your time, the brighter your existence becomes. Mm. And I like that. I think that it's it's there's a difference we're not saying take things lightly as in don't take them seriously or believe in them or want them or need them or or, work at them or work at them or pay them their their due respect or due diligence it's saying do it with lightness do it with curiosity and well just with all of the the worry and the fear and the work that we're putting in always in the back of our minds having it's okay it's gonna be okay you're okay. They're okay. We're okay. Yeah. You know, that's that lightness that I think helps me. It, that's the, the words that go on in my yeah. head bes- besides loosen up. Yeah. But I think like the words that go for me are perspective, mm. trust, confidence, you know, that's kind of the big magic. Mm. And those are all connected in some weird way. And, and something that we say all the time too, that's sort of connected is we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. And, it, and, and in the moment when we're struggling or having a hard time, we just say, they're doing the best they can, or I'm doing the best I can. And, and I think in some ways that helps us kind of put a pin in it mm-hmm. so we don't freak out. Mm-hmm. We're like, we're doing the best. We'll, we'll circle back to this. <laughs> we'll right. come back. We're going to do some problem solving. We're going to powwow and fucking figure this out somehow. But <clears throat> I think that that's what this book is, is a way to gain that awareness and that perspective and do that work so that in the moments when we're, when our our trust and our patience and all of those things are put to the test we have something to lean on that we've thought of before or talked about before or read before mm-hmm. and that's what this whole features episode is about kelty is having these little gems to lean on and to to be just kind of drifting around us as we go about our days so that when we have those moments, we don't have to let them weigh as much. We may not even be able to change what we're doing in these moments with our kids, but just knowing in the back of our heads that we can do better next time. It's okay what we're doing right now. It's all okay. You know? Yeah. (sighs) That was fun. That was really fun. Yeah. What are our sort of takeaways from the book and the conversation, would you say? Some Do you want to list some of them? Some of my favorite things. Yeah, just boil it down. You just sold me on this, baby. Okay. Um, I would say 
should these be like directives for people to like yeah let's kind of let's make it sort of like remember these things like okay. takeaways I yeah, hate that word me too we okay. need to find another one all right here we go find the courage to bring forth the work the treasures that are hidden inside you are hoping you will say yes number two work to live a life that is driven more strongly by curiosity than by fear but make a space for it to comfortably coexist in the back seat number three have a genius or a trickster or a martyr or a trish and know they're not you thank your mystery for its help and keep working number four channel your own arrogance of belonging and help support your kids not by saying i'm the greatest but by simply announcing i'm here number is it five yeah five. think of parenting as a devotional path full of rejection and hardship that you refuse to be worn down by where the rewards come from the joy of puzzling out the work itself and being true to your path. Number six, build space for the paradox that parenting can be the most important thing and also maybe not matter at all sometimes. Number seven, embrace your shit sandwich. Number eight, choose stubborn gladness Meet your destiny with as much good cheer and as little drama as you can, viewing the hardest moments as a really interesting cabinet of curiosities. Number nine, lighten up, because the more lightly you can pass your time, the brighter your existence becomes. Mm. <clears throat> Number 10, I'm going to read her conclusion really okay. quick. Okay. Creativity is sacred, and it is not sacred. What we make matters enormously and it doesn't matter at all. We toil alone and we are accompanied by spirits. We are terrified and we are brave. Art is a crushing chore and a wonderful privilege. Only when we are at our most playful can divinity finally get serious with us. Make space for all these paradoxes to be equally true inside your soul, and I promise you can make anything. So please calm down and get back to work, okay? The treasures that are hidden inside you are hoping you will say yes. Visit elizabethgilbert.com to learn more about Big Magic and her upcoming novel, City of Girls. And follow Liz on Instagram at elizabeth underscore gilbert underscore writer to be part of her magical journey. And lastly, you are doing an amazing job. We're so proud of you. Mm -hmm. If you are here, you're taking steps to better understand yourself, your child, and your world. So thank you. We're all growing up together. Till next time. Thank you.